Good morning. It is great to be together. As you guys know, we are in a new series entitled Losing My Religion. I don't know about your week this week, but my week has been a bit rough. Actually, it's been more rough on my wife than myself. Uh, like, it seems like everybody in our house has been sick all week. So my wife's had to take care of our daughter. She's uh, really sick for the past few days, but she got better last night, late last night. She seems to be better today. But now my oldest son and myself and my middle son are all kind of starting to feel it. And it, it's just been a tough week. And, you know, when those things happen like, like they do, sometimes you find yourself kind of unprepared for things like dinner, right? Because you're just so busy trying to take care of everything going on. And so last night we found ourselves in that situation. We were hungry and uh, there was no dinner. And so we said, well, let's, let's just get some takeout. And, you know, I got to thinking about takeout. And it's a pretty amazing concept, I mean, reality, that we live in a world, or a country anyways, that within 30 minutes, you can have one of the most basic needs of life satisfied uh, just about anywhere in this country by ordering takeout, whether it's pizza or Chinese food or whatever. Literally, 30 minutes or less, you could have a hot meal in your home. That's a pretty astounding reality when you think about it in the context of history. You know, uh, today we're not going to be talking about takeout. We've not ordered any pizza, but we are going to be talking about meeting one of the most essential spiritual needs that we all have. We're going to be looking at the Beatitudes. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 10. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What we just read is called uh, the Beatitudes. It's the, it's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the greatest message ever preached. It was taught by Jesus early in His ministry when He spent most of His time in, in, in an area known as Galilee, which is northern Israel today. He went from town to village and He began to teach and He began to perform miracles and as a result, large crowds of people came out to hear Him or see Him whenever He showed up to a certain town or village. And it was from those crowds that He would, he would call people out to become followers of His, disciples of His. On this occasion, when the Sermon on the Mount was, Sermon on the Mount was taught, he was probably way north in Israel, somewhere near the Sea of Galilee. And there was such a large crowd that he had to go up onto a mountainside so that as many people as possible could hear him. You know, some people have argued, how could that be? How could in the day of no electronics, no magnif magnified voice uh, 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 systems, uh, uh, what do you call these things, PA systems, in those days, how could one man speak to literally thousands of people? Well, i got to tell you, it can happen because there are some natural acoustics that occur in various parts of the world where you can literally hear as clear as day somebody even in a large crowd uh, of people. I, I had this experience. I, I like to golf or I try to golf occasionally and I was golfing in Simi Valley at Lost Hills. Have you ever been there? And uh, I think it's hole 14. I can't remember. Four, uh, it's probably hole 15. Uh, you're, at the, you're at the bottom of a, of a canyon and the hole is uphill, very steep. Uh, it's about a 
350 yard par four. And at the very top, after you on the green, you get off the green and you go up to the very top of a hill. Uh, and so you're here down here and at the end of the green, way up at the top is, the, is where the next tee box is. And I was on the tee box, I think, it, I think it's 15. I was on the tee box at 15 and I could hear clear as a bell the guys on the tee box talking in normal voices wow. on the tee box at 16. I mean, clear as day. And they weren't shouting or anything. I could hear, I could make out everything they were saying. It's, it's pretty amazing sometimes just natural acoustics. And so Jesus had, this, had a situation where he was in a, in a place where it was easy to hear him. And he taught this sermon. Now, as with all teachings of Jesus, and, and whenever you read the Bible, they often go from general to specific, or from, from, from principle to practice. And the Sermon on the Mount's no different. The very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is the principles, and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is the practices, or the illustrations of the principles. And so what we just read here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1-10, through 10, are the principles. The, the, they're called the Beatitudes. The idea is to be the attitudes of Christ. Jesus wanted his followers to be these things. And then everything that follows in the sermon is illustrations or practical application that would come from these beatitudes. In our last series, Things I Wish Jesus Didn't Say, we spent most of our time focused in the second part of the sermon. We talked a lot about the illustrations or the practicals. And if you may remember, at the end of that, I said, now let's go back and look at the principles. And so I'm glad you came back. I'm glad you're here today to learn about the principles. Mm -hmm. So that's what our series, Losing My Religion, is all about. It's about getting rid of, of uh, or, or letting go of our preconceived notions about what faith is really all about, at least faith in Jesus Christ. And let's get back to the real, true religion of Jesus Christ, the true principles that Jesus taught and expected of everyone of his disciples. And so what we're going to do for the next eight weeks, we're going to take each beatitude one at a time. And we're just going to go deep. We're going to study them. And, and, and I hope that you, like me, are enriched from the study. I got to tell you, the more I study these things out, the more I am challenged, the more I am convicted, the more I'm in awe of the call of Jesus Christ. And I hope that it, translate in, it translates into action in my life and in your life. Because if we get anything right, we got to get this right. And so we're going to focus on the, beatitude, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now before we get there, I have a couple of things I want you to note down first in, in your mind. And if you have your connect, connection cards, get them out. And I'll tell you what I want you to write, uh, little thoughts to remember. You may have your own, and that's fine. But I have some things I want you to remember as well. But before we get there, the first thing I want you to know about the Beatitudes, these eight characteristics of, of what it means to, of essential Christianity or, or follow, follow essential characteristics of a follower of Jesus Christ, the first thing I want you to know is that these are the standard for all followers. Jesus called every follower to the same standard. He didn't have what's called a clergy laity mentality. There were not two separate standards, one for those who would be really committed and then one for those who would be kind of committed. That is never 
in Scripture. Jesus did not have two levels of commitment. He had one level of commitment. The reason why is, is because these, these characteristics, these are, these are actually character traits. They're not just things we do from time to time. They're not things we can check off on a box and say, oh, I did that today. This is who Jesus wants us to be. And if He wants you to be this, this is true for the lowest member of His community, lowest follower, all the way up to the most prominent follower. The same standard exists for all followers. The second thing I want you to note is that all followers, and this is quite challenging when you think about it, all followers are meant to embody, to manifest in them all of the Beatitudes. You don't get to say, well, I'm a peacemaker this week, but that, that means I don't have to be full of mercy. You don't get to decide which beatitude you're going to be. Now, you may be better at some than the others. You may have a, a, a stronger uh, character in, in one of the beatitudes over the other. But you are expected as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what he taught the crowd some 2,000 years ago, that, that to, to have every one of these characteristics in, in, in you. They need to become your character traits. Again, there may be slight variations because some may become better than others, but at the end of the day, you are going to embody all of these. So here's the thing I want you to write down on your connection card. The first thing that I want you to take away. Just write this phrase down, all for one, one for all. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. All disciples are expected to manifest all of these characteristics. And all of these characteristics... Uh, comprise one standard for all. All for one, one for all. The third thing I want you to keep in your mind, you don't need to write this one down, but is that none of us are born with these characteristics. At least not in the way Jesus intends them to be manifested. Some of us may have qualities that mimic some of these characteristics. We may have someone, you may know someone who's kind of a merciful person, or, a, or a, you may know someone who's a peacemaker, but no one is merciful in the way that Jesus describes merciful. No one is a peacemaker in the way that Jesus describes a peacemaker. No one is born with these characteristics. Think about it for a minute. If they were, that would be incredibly unfair. You know why? Because I don't have any of them. My DNA does not have any of these. I would be left out. If this was somehow the way we were born, then woe to me and woe to many of you because I would have no chance. My biology does not equate to any of these things. Thank God, because I can become these things through my following of Jesus Christ. You can become these things as a result of following Jesus Christ, but no one in this room is born with these qualities. The fourth thing I want you to think about, and we'll repeat these periodically through our series because I really think these, these basic principles are important for every one of us to get. The fourth thing I want you to know is that these Beatitudes, they separate followers from non-followers. There is a clear distinction between a true follower of Jesus Christ and everyone else. Sure. You know, it's interesting. My background, my, at least my education, is in psychology. And uh, when I was getting my master's, of course, you do a lot of study and 
research it when you're studying psychology on human characteristics or traits. And there's all these studies out there, and you may have heard people reference them on TV or whatever in books, where they, they take a group of people and they go, okay, uh, let's talk about divorce, let's talk about uh, uh, troubled kids or whatever, and then let's see, do any groups do better than any other groups? And so they have like people who claim to be Christian and everyone else. And oftentimes in these studies, you'll find that people who claim to be Christian are not necessarily, any, any, are not necessarily st statistically different than any other group. In other words, groups that claim to not follow Christ. Oftentimes, you'll even hear people say that. Uh, you'll hear that reported or whatever. However, and, and let me just say this, statistics are only as good as the person who interprets them, right? Mm -hmm. Statistics, uh, don't, you got, always got to be careful when somebody throws numbers out there, but one thing I will say is that when, I, when I've seen these things, I've often dug a little deeper, and I've often noticed that when that, that group of people who claim to be Christian, there's also a subgroup in that group, which is people who are committed Christians. And here's the interesting thing. Of that group, there's a major statistical difference between committed Christians and the rest of the world. And I would put before you, that's because in that group, you're finding people who are more embodying of the Beatitudes than you are in the, the larger group that just say they're Christian or the world at large. And so there is a distinction that comes about. We become significantly different. The more we are like Christ, the more we embody these characteristics, the less like everybody else we will become. Yeah. And hopefully that's a good thing yeah. for you. Last thing I want you to note is that the Beatitudes are otherworldly. The world does not, or in our current world, in the way we think about things, we may appreciate some of these, but these are not on the top list of most people of what your character should look like when you think about a person's character, at least in the world we live in today. That's because these are from a different world. You know, you've often heard the phrase, Christians are in the world, but they're not of the world, and that is so true. As a Christian, if you are a Christian today, you live with one foot in one world and with another foot in the other world. And so the Beatitudes are of the other world. They come from the, the heavenly realm, not the material realm. So let's go to God in prayer as we dig in to our study this morning. Father, it is great to be together, and we are so grateful for the power of your word, and I pray that every one of us is moved and opened in our hearts to the, to the teaching of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we may all become poor in spirit here, or at least begin the journey of becoming poor in spirit. We want to be like you, and we want to have your qualities in us so badly. Please open our hearts and remove anything that might hinder us from embracing the teaching of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's take our first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, there is a reason why this is the first beatitude. Jesus was not haphazard when he taught the Sermon on the Mount. He was not just throwing things out there in random order. I believe wholeheartedly that there is a logical order to the beatitudes. And, and, and as, you, as we study this out, I think you'll find that there's a reason why this beatitude being poor in spirit, is the first beatitude. That reason is because it's the key to all the others. 
without this beatitude, without being people who are, who are um, not poor in spirit, there is no entry into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, in God's kingdom, there is no one who's not poor in spirit. It's the first, in my opinion, and the most important characteristic of a follower of Jesus Christ. We're going to learn here in just a minute that it's about, it describes what I call an emptying. The other Beatitudes, they describe a filling. But this is an emptying. You know, whenever you look at teachings in Scripture, especially the teachings of Jesus Christ, certainly the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to find a tension between two forces. One force is a tearing down. The other force is a building up. You think about people who've gone into the military. A friend of mine, their son just graduated from boot camp, and I was talking to his stepfather, who was also in the military, and he told me that you know, that's what boot camp is. It's a tearing down. They sort of tear you down, and then towards the end, they they build you back up. And the reason is, is because people come in with all kinds of baggage, whether it's physical or emotional or whatever. They come in with already things that are in them that get in the way of the things that they want to put into them. The military wants to put into you. And so boot camp is a process of tearing down. It's, it's hitting delete. It's erasing what's already been written physically, mentally, even emotionally. And it's, a, it, it's getting you to zero so you can be, you can be reset and then filled up with what they want you to be filled up with. And, and the scriptures, the teaching in Scripture, Jesus' teaching is no different. There's always a bringing down before there's a building up. There's always a conviction that comes before conversion. There's always condemnation that comes before salvation. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot have them in, uh, in the wrong order. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, with the first beatitude, being poor in spirit, this is about being emptied before you can be filled. You cannot be filled if you're already full. You cannot be filled if you're half full. Jesus told a parable, some of you may be familiar with it, of a wine, of a wine skin that has new wine, that has old wine and new wine. And he says you can't mix the two. You can't put the new wine in with the old wine because it will break the skin. It has to be emptied before it can be filled. Before we go on and we talk about what does it mean to be poor in spirit, I've got another little sidetrack I want to take you on. There's a few more things I want to talk about. And what I'm hoping to do here, guys, is I'm hoping to get you built, you know, tense. I want you to get some tension in you. Okay, Joe, get to the point. I want you to start thinking that. Get to the point. Quit going down these side roads because I want to build some tension for you. I want you to be so ready to hear what it means to be poor in spirit by the time we get there that you're, you're going to shout it out. Would you please tell us, stop talking about everything else. Tell us what it means. That's my goal. And so I'm going to go down another side road because I'm going to make you just irritated until we can get there because you're not ready yet. You got to be tense before you can really hear what this is all about. And so here, let's talk for a minute about what it's not. Let's talk what being poor in spirit is not. Number one, it's not about material poverty. You know, the history of Christianity is littered with people who have misunderstood this concept. And they've embraced, even taken vows or oaths of poverty. Right. On the faulty assumption that somehow being poor is a better state than being unpoor or not poor. And maybe from a misinterpretation of things like this, the Sermon on the Mount, or 
in the, in the book of Luke, if you're familiar with your scripture, there's an abbreviated version of this same sermon, and he says, blessed are the poor. He doesn't say in spirit. And so people have tended to misunderstand that to mean something totally different, when really Luke's just abbreviating this same sermon. But people have often embraced poverty as if it's somehow a preferred state. Yet when you read the Bible, poverty is never a favored position. As a matter of fact, poverty is not a good thing in the Bible. And thank goodness for that, because who would want to worship a God that wants you to be broke and poor and starving? That's not a kind and loving God that wants that of His people or of His worshipers. So poverty is never a good thing. And and let me say this, poverty does not guarantee spirituality. I have known many poor people who are as unspiritual as many rich people. I've known many poor people who are just as greedy and just as envious as any rich person. It's not a favored state, and it doesn't guarantee spirituality. So this is clearly not talking about material poverty. The second thing it's not is it's not talking about personal weakness or outward displays of humility. I got a little picture here I want you to see. That's no poverty. That's not what we're talking about. But it's also not talking about personal weakness or outward displays of humility. In other words, just because someone may have a, 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 a weakness in their personality, maybe there's a, a depression uh, that they're struggling with, or maybe there's a melancholy, or maybe there's a anxiety or whatever, this is not what this is about. It's not saying that you've got to be a depressed, sad sack of a person, or a miserable, broken down person to be poor in spirit. And nor do you need to have sort of these outward displays of humility. And we've all seen and heard of people who do this, who, who walk around looking disheveled, even though they're, you know, they're not, but somehow they feel like that makes them feel more spiritual. One of my favorite things is this little, uh, they call these things GIFs, G-I-F. They're little files. There's no sound, but they're like multiple pictures in a row, so they look like a video. And I got one here I want to share with you. It's one of my favorite scenes from the movie uh, The Holy Grail. And so you remember the monks? They walk around and they beat themselves on the, on the head with the, with the boards. Is the gif running? Is, can you see it? Okay. You know, somehow as if this makes them more spiritual, that they walk around and they just sort of self-abuse themselves so that they can somehow be more spiritual. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about beating yourself up and tearing yourself down. The other thing Jesus is not talking about is he's not talking about a personality suppression. That's another mistake people make. It's similar to the, the, the previous one, but, but this is the person who feels like you know, personality traits are somehow off limits. So if you're, if you're a shy person, you know, you, you, you're poor in spirit, but if you're a loud person, there's no way you can be poor in spirit. That's just not true. Right. You can be a, a loud person. You can be a shy person. You can be a demure person. You can be a commanding person. You can be whatever personality God is giving you and still be poor in spirit. So it's not about trying to eliminate your personality. You are who you are. And that could be good or bad. All depends on how you use it. But there are people who are very out of themselves and there are people who are very into themselves. And in either case, their personality has nothing to do with whether they're poor in spirit. The last one that I want to talk about what it's not is that it's not an intellectual exercise. Being poor in spirit is not something that we just sort of intellectually understand. You think about, I got Albert Einstein on the screen above here. You think about uh, the, the saying that the more we learn, the less we know. 
And that any, any person like an Albert Einstein or anybody that's done any kind of extended study on, sub, on, on a subject finds out that we, even though we know a lot, we, we, we always find out we know less than we think we know, right? And there's, there's sort of a humility that comes with that or should come with that anyways. And that's a good thing, but that's not being poor in spirit. So do you want to know what being poor in spirit is? Because yeah. if you don't, I can, go to, I, can, I can keep going. I can go all day on this. Because I'm trying to get you to the point to where you want to know. All right, well, let's, let's talk about being poor in spirit. What is it? And the best way I can do that is by giving you some examples. Okay. So let's look here. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I'm going to give you a little background on each one of these passages. I'm going to go quick because we're under a time constraint. But I'll try to give you the general idea so you get it. This is Moses. Moses was a Hebrew slave, born into Egypt some 3,500 years ago, and miraculously happened to be raised in the house of, of Pharaoh. So he, he was raised with great training, great education, with all the opportunities that would be given to a prince of Egypt. And about age 40, he started feeling very nationalistic, he started feeling very sentimental towards his Hebrew heritage. They were slaves in Egypt for some 400 years. And he went out and tried to defend one of the slaves and ended up killing an Egyptian oppressor. And as a result, he had to flee Egypt. And he spent 40 years out wandering around in the wilderness. And at the age of 80, he happened to see this bush on fire, but the bush wasn't burning up. It was just on fire, but, but still was there. So he went over to see what it was, and God spoke to him. And God said, I want you to go back to Egypt... And I want you to free the, the, Israel, the, the Hebrew slaves. And Moses' reaction to that, in spite of all of his training, all of his education, all of the background he had as being a prince of Egypt, he said, who am I? This was not a fake uh, outward expression of humility. This was a genuine response of, of a man, in spite of all that he was, couldn't conceptualize of himself as being the, the, the person who would free the Egyptians, I mean the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Who am I? He didn't, he didn't think of himself worthy of the task. Let's look at another example. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if it were not enough in your sight, Sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant and this decree. Sovereign Lord is for a mere human. The background here is this is King David. King David, many generations after Moses, became king of the, the, the new Israelite nation, the, the Hebrew people. And they eventually became a great kingdom. And King David eventually became one of the greatest kings in the world at the time. One of the richest and most powerful kings. And at some point, he, out of all of his gratitude, he wanted to build a temple so that people could come and worship God. And God told him, no, that's not for you to do. But I am going to make your name great. I am going to make your family and your offspring great. And David, to that, in response to that promise, he said, who am I? Again, this was not a fake. This was not false humility. This was a genuine position that, that David had. It was a genuine quality in him. Who am I? A mere person, a mere human, that you would do this for me. David con didn't consider himself worthy. Let's look at another example. 
When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Now this, the background here, is Peter was one of the early disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and on one occasion, Jesus needed Peter's boat. Peter had been out all day fishing, had ter- terrible luck fishing, came in and Jesus said, hey, let's go back out for a little bit. Let's try fishing again. And Peter's like, there's no fish out there, but okay, fine. So they go out there and they catch a miraculous load of fish. So much so that Peter falls on his knees and he goes, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. Peter, it's just a simple miracle of Jesus Christ of catching a lot of fish. Suddenly, in, from, from within him, it was not fake, expressed that he felt unworthy to be in the boat with Jesus Christ. And so one way to think about being poor in spirit is to think of yourself as unworthy. But it's more than just think about unworthy. It's it's to be unworthy. It's to know you're unworthy. Do you remember these guys? It's that kind of thing. You know you're just not worthy. But you know, I don't think that's the best way to describe being poor in spirit. There's actually a better example. It's Jesus. I put the slide on top of it, didn't I? Let's go back to the the passage. See if I can get there. Okay, we'll start over. Okay, we're not playing. Try it again. All right, let's go there. I can't get it up on the screen for some reason. Sorry about the technical glitch. Philippians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and turn that out. Turn to it. There we go. Verses 6 through 7. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now, this is the Apostle Paul who's talking about Jesus and, and the, the quality that Jesus had and, and, and what He had done for us by becoming a man. And he, and he says here that you have Jesus Christ who is God, in whom and by whom all things were created and exist. And yet He did not consider that equality with God something to be held on to. Something to be grasped. And as a matter of fact, He emptied Himself of it. He let it all go and became nothing. You see, Jesus had to first empty Himself. Now, I don't know how that worked. It's it's a paradox because He never stopped being God, but somehow, in the Incarnation, He emptied Himself of His deity in order to become nothing. And so maybe the best way to describe being poor in spirit is to be empty. I think that's what David and Peter and Moses, that's what they were, that's what they were, they were verbalizing. Who are we? When, when they, they really understood themselves 
as, as empty. And so we showed Garth and Wayne here. But this is... But the image I want to leave you with is the, one, the other one on the right, the, the Monopoly guy with the empty pockets. That's, that's being poor in spirit. It's not having anything in your pockets. It's not having anything within you. Now Jesus said, blessed is the man who is poor in spirit, or blessed are the poor in spirit. That word blessed means happy. But it doesn't really mean happy. It actually means fortunate doesn't really mean fortunate though the really best way to describe the word blessed is it means ideal the ideal state for a person who is a follower of jesus christ is to be empty and so being poor in spirit is really about being empty letting go of all of your baggage Letting go of all of the things that you are proud of or that you, you hold on to that give you security or that you feel confident of. Letting it all go and just become empty. And that's the second thing I want you to write on your card. Be empty. So if you're taking notes, put that down. Be empty. Because that's what being poor in spirit is all about. Now you ask yourself, why? Why is being empty, why does that matter? What is the benefit of that? Well, because once you're empty, and it's not fake, it's genuine, it's something that you really understand, you've really grasped, it's something you've chosen to do, like Jesus, it's, it's a mindset you've chosen to have, well, then you can be filled up. And that's what the rest of the Beatitudes are for. That's why this one comes first. Because you've got to get torn down. You've got to let go. You've got to get rid of all that other stuff that's in there so that Jesus can put the Beatitudes in you. You can't mix it. You can't put new wine with old wine. It won't work. That, that vessel, that wineskin, you as a person, you need to empty yourself of all of those things so that you can be filled up. And that is the ideal state of a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, don't be fooled. Don't think that filling yourself up on your own is somehow going to work. It doesn't work. We all know this. We all know this in our souls. In innately, we understand this. We can look at the world around us and we see people who are chasing things, trying to fill themselves up, whether it's money or relationships or status or whatever, whatever the case may be. And we all see the emptiness of that. We all see the futility of that. And so Jesus just says, look, the ideal state is not to try to fill yourself up. Actually, the ideal state is to empty yourself. Because He wants to fill you up. Amen. And that's what being poor in spirit is all about. The next part of the Scripture, it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want you to think about this phrase for a minute. What does it mean? Now, we could do an entire series alone on the study of the kingdom of heaven. But I'm going to give you just a quick explanation of what the kingdom of heaven means. And the best way to understand it, at least for our purposes today, is that the kingdom of heaven is wherever 
Jesus reigns. Right? You think of a king, and a king has a kingdom. And the kingdom is basically wherever that king has kingly authority. And so the kingdom of heaven is wherever God, or, or Jesus, sits on the throne and has subjects. And if you're a subject of a king, the king has total authority over you. Remember what we said that followers of Jesus live in two worlds at the same time? One is material, one is spiritual. In the old days, the kingdom of heaven was represented, it was made manifest in the people of Israel. When God took the Hebrews out of Egypt, turned them into a great nation, the nation of Israel gave them the law of Moses, they became the kingdom of heaven. And, and by being a member of that community, you were a part of the kingdom of heaven. In our day, the kingdom of heaven is the church. Now, it's not the only kingdom of heaven because God's reign extends all of other places as well. But, but for our purposes, it is the church. The kingdom of heaven exists in the church and in the heart of every true follower of Jesus Christ. Now, here's where it gets serious. And here's where I want you to, to listen. In the future... God will remove everything that is not the kingdom of heaven. Remember, we have one foot in each world, and there's going to come a day where that other world, the material world, is going to be removed. My grandma used to say when people were old and getting ready to die that they got one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel. Well, we, we ought to live like that. We ought to have one foot in the kingdom of heaven, and the other foot is really on a banana peel. Because this world is not going to last. It will be removed. And so the Beatitudes should take on a whole other level of importance because those are of the lasting kingdom, the eternal kingdom, the heavenly kingdom, the one that's going to remain. Everything else is going to fade away. It's going to be removed. And it's only the poor in spirit that will remain. And so this is both a promise, but it's also a warning. Don't put your stock, don't put your trust, don't put your confidence in the material world. In the things that we tend to want to chase and pursue. Because we can see them, we can feel them, we can touch them, we can smell them, and it's so hard not to want to pursue those things. But they're on a banana peel. There's no foundation and they will be removed. What we want to do is plant our feet firmly in the kingdom of heaven. We want to let Jesus reign in our lives. And step number one, the first and most important step to making that choice, to moving those feet into the right realm, is to be poor in spirit. It's to empty yourself so that you can be filled up. You know, I shared at the beginning about <clears throat> delivery, right? Food delivery and how it's an amazing thing that we live in an era where at any point in time we can get on the phone and 30 minutes or less we can have a basic physical need met in our lives. Food just brought right to our house. I heard a guy tell this story and I wanted to share it with you because it was really impactful. I want you to imagine for a minute you go home and tonight because it's church and you've been gone all day, you forgot to make dinner. And so you do that. You got to get on the phone and you order a pizza. And I want you to imagine that the delivery guy shows up at the door, you open the door, and there he is with your pizza, but there's no box. He's just holding the pizza. Cheese is spilling, the sauce is falling off, right? And, and you're, you're like, where's your hand been, and what are you doing with this pizza? And why are you doing that? And the first thing that any one of us is going to ask is, where's the box? 
Now, the box in and of itself is nothing. It's honestly, it's worthless. What makes the box, box worth something is that the pizza should have been in it. Right. You know, Jesus wants us to be like that. We are supposed to be empty boxes. And Jesus wants to put what makes us valuable into us. But we got to be empty first. We got to be cleaned out. There can't be any impurity in there or anything else that gets in the way because it will interfere with what is really valuable the Beatitudes of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be empty boxes so that He can fill us up and He can make us valuable. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to close with a prayer and we'll have a final song. Father, thank you so very much for the Beatitudes, for your son Jesus being the greatest example of someone who could empty himself and, and, and like no one else. Help us to be that. Help us to truly understand that our value is in you and what you put in us. It's not in ourselves and what we try to make of ourselves. Help us to be those empty boxes so that we can be filled with what's valuable. And then we can receive the kingdom of heaven and help as many others do the same. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to close that with I Need Your Love. Uh, we really do need Jesus' love in our, in our hearts. And-